0: The giant of disappointment. We've faced up to the giant of fear. We've considered the giant of loneliness. And uh, we have learned uh, about uh, the giant of uh, worry. We've considered the giant of bitterness which is uh, the start of what we will consider tonight being the giant of anger. Now I understand as you watch that video for the first time. You did exactly what I did. There were some parts in the video that I sort of laughed at. And I had your reactions of ooh and ah. The more you look at that video, it's becoming more uglier than the first time you've watched it. Anger, beloved, is as ugly as hell. And that's the thing that I'd like us to consider tonight. Would you stand with me, please? Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read one verse and we'll continue with the, the other. Paul wrote to the believers here at Ephesus and said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor And evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight. Thank you indeed that you have planned it all. You have seen us from before the foundation of the world. And you have planned for our lives. And many years down the road, you're still doing it for our good. Thank you for the many blessings that have been shared tonight. It just shows how we as your children are beneficiaries of your grace, your benevolence, your mercy, and indeed your love. Uh, as we have uh, seen this morning, as we have uh, been taught yet again this morning. Father, tonight I'd like to propose to these ones that are before me tonight how this giant need to be slayed, need to be defeated. We need to have victory uh, over this really sin of anger. It happens to the best of us. And if we're not careful, it will destroy us. And so tonight, Lord, once again, I ask that you would use the preaching of your word, an opportunity for us to learn, to make personal applications that indeed we could live a life that is loving. And we can't do that if we are full of rage and full of bitterness and anger within. So thank you, Father, that uh, your word is complete. And it gives us principles to live our lives as we await your coming. Meet with us this evening, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My dear ones, uncontrolled anger, and I put the emphasis on the word uncontrolled. Uncontrolled anger is a huge problem. Indeed, in this our day. We've just seen a portion of what is out there and what happens in sports arenas uh, uh, on the road, uh, how a a simple uh, move, uh, a simple driving error uh, could um, uh, escalate into something uh, that of a road rage, uh, sometimes so extreme that uh, one angry motorist uh, shoots and kills another over, like I said, what started to be some minor infraction or altercation. We read of examples of parents who watch their children's sports activities and erupt in anger uh, to, to the point of attacking other parents uh, and even other children uh, against their own children. In one article in the Reader's Digest, one father beat another father to death after a youth hockey practice. Not even a game, just a practice. Another dad clubbed his daughter's high school softball coach repeatedly in the head and body with an aluminum bat because the coach has suspended his daughter for missing a game. The article stated that three-fourths of parents who have attended a sporting event have witnessed other parents being verbally abusive. One in seven have witnessed an actual physical altercation involving parents. Now, after hearing all of that and after seeing what I've just played you, a little portion of it, there's a lot more that that goes on in that, but uh, uh, sometimes it gets to the point that it doesn't become profitable in anymore watching things like that unfold. We, uh, as independent, fundamental, faithful, Bible-believing um, congregation, we close our arms and say, well, that's what happens out there in the world, man. Can I remind you this morning or this, this evening that this letter was written to the believers? It wasn't written to the unsaved. It was written to the believers In Ephesus. We say that's the wicked world for you. Well true. But can I also say to you tonight. Grievingly. Christian homes were torn apart. Because of anger. How many. A church member. Walks out. Because of anger. How many churches tonight. Have suffered a split. Because of anger. How many a minister like myself. Has lost his ministry. Over anger. The apostle Paul did not mince his words here in our text. He called it as it is. Let all, he said, let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor. Do we understand what clamor is? Clamor is from the word kradzo. It means to croak as a raven. And as the idea of screaming and shrieking. All evil speaking. Paul says be put away from us. That means with every kind of evil, be put away from us. That means, beloved, a little bit of anger, a little bit of losing it, it's not okay. It never is okay. When Paul says, let all... So a little bit of that is not an excuse. We say, well, Pastor, I'm only human. Oh, yes, you are. Yes, I am. But let us not excuse ourselves or justify our actions. Anger is sin. Full stop. Anger is sin. And it must be put away from us. But you say, hang on, Pastor, in verse 26 of Ephesians 4, it says, Be ye angry. But notice the end of that verse. And sin not. The Christian can get angry, we can. It is justified to be angry in the things that are opposed to the principles of our dear Saviour Jesus Christ. When we see sin being made to be true, when we see unrighteousness being heralded as righteousness, when right is uh, made to be wrong, we can be angry. But even in that, we shouldn't sin. Paul said that let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now Tonight is not the time for me to cover verse 26. We'll do that at another time. But I say again, if you can really be angry and genuinely not sin in the process, well, I need you to pray for me. It's very rarely that I really get angry and not sin in the process. Beloved, it's a very fine line to say that this is righteous anger and then turn it into unrighteous anger. You see, righteous indignation, as the Bible calls it, is easier said than done. It's easier said than done. And I'm concerned that it is used and abused by so many. The fact is, one of the marks of sinful anger, whether we admit it or not, is due to selfishness. We didn't get our way but we want our way. We didn't get our so-called rights and demand our rights. You know, we men, and I preach this message at the men's breakfast, men are very vulnerable to these things. We say, I'm the head of this house and what I say goes... You know, fellows, as I said to us back then, when we start using the I'm the man of the house card out of selfishness, we really are only masking our own selfishness. The I'm the man and the house card in its wrong context is not justified. How many Father's Day service already have I preached? Our wives are not second class. Uh, When we say that they are to submit to us, we have to make sure that we are worth submitting. Because we are following the word of God and the person of Christ. So to demand, I am the man of the house, you do as I say, is really not backed up by scriptures. Never. Now, of course, I understand things are not always straightforward. Life is complex as it is. And we wish that it's not. I understand that there are triggers why we become angry and why we behave the way that we do. Things happen, people just rub us the wrong way. Situations get us to the point where we lose it. I get it, I've been there. It tips us over the edge. But notice how the word all was used by Paul here twice. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. He was emphasizing the issue. In essence, he has not given you and me an excuse to justify our sinful anger. Notice firstly how Paul described this old sinful behavior that we must put away. I say it again. He said, put away some. No, beloved. He said, put all. Put away all bitterness and wrath. Now, we just dealt with this giant of bitterness a couple of Sunday nights ago. And... uh, I don't really want to major on that again tonight. But notice that Paul did not psychologize this issue of anger. He didn't say, oh, because you had a rough and unfair childhood, that is why you are behaving the way that you do. He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, maybe your parents did not love you or shown their love to you. That's why... You may have such a low esteem, self-esteem. Now, look at me when I say this. I get it. Some of us had rough. We had suffered some real abuse from our parents. Some physical, some verbal, some mental, some emotional Some of us were even abandoned as children. I get it. And I've lived this kind of life for a good while, being angry at God, even. I didn't choose to be born in this dysfunctional family. You planned it all. See, I was reversing what the blessing is. I understand. I get it. We have, some of us have really done it tough and are still doing it tough with our relationships. I'm not dismissing anything of that. But Paul didn't excuse or rationalize this sinful behavior. He simply said, put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, And all malice, that means all other evil things. That's what he said. Now before we go on, understand that verse 25 to verse 32 are really built on verses 20 to 24 of chapter 4. And again, uh, at another time, we'll really get the good uh, full lesson on these. But I want to make a point that in and of ourselves, just like love, we are not able to put anger away only by our own strength. Okay? We, in our own effort and strength, cannot put away anger away. You know how we can do it? Only by virtue of our salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And so I say this out of concern. If you are a person that is always angry, you need to examine yourself. Whether you're in the faith or not. Because anger is never a part of a new creation in Christ. A person that is genuinely blood-bought, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, according to the Scriptures, a new person in Christ. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And anger is not part of being new in Christ. In fact, in verses 22 to 24 of this chapter of Ephesians chapter 4, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, that means the old lifestyle of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created. In righteousness. And true holiness. And if anyone is to be victorious against the giant of anger. He must be genuinely born again. Not of the flesh but of the spirit. That's the bottom line. Verse 30. He or she is not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Whereby he or she is sealed unto the day of redemption. Now a genuine born again of God will not bear fruit in anger. He will bear fruit in righteousness as we know and have studied in Galatians 5.22 onwards. Our spirit-filled life is not just passive. It must also be active. (coughs) Excuse me. As James said, show me thy faith that works. Okay, without works I should say. And I will show you my faith with my works. There's a lot in that. It's a good study uh, in your own time. Our life as a believer is a daily battle against our sinful nature. Daily. For some of us, it's every minute. Battle. Our sinful desires of the head and heart tempt us every moment of each day. And the only way to gain victory over these is to yield to the Holy Spirit and obedience to God's word. I wish there is another way. Well, maybe, yeah. Medicate you. And get you blah. But the real answer to anger, my dear ones, as your pastor, I'm I'm admonishing you. Is this, God's word and the Holy Spirit, that really indwells you? Salvation in Christ. The scene of anger starts from the heart. And the moment we feel angry, we must deal with it. Again, whether we accept it or not, any expression of anger towards another is many times, if not all the time, an expression of anger towards God. Let that sink for a while. An expression of anger towards another is really an expression of anger towards God. Why do I say that? God is sovereign, is it not? Okay. And he is in control of our lives. And we say that uh, quite confidently. If he has allowed this difficult situation, this difficult person, this difficult circumstance in our lives, uh, to for, for, for our learning. Okay, why must we be angry at him? Why must we be angry at that other person at workplace? Uh, um, in in school, Uh, and if God knows best and he has put us this challenge before us uh, about this person, about this situation, about this circumstance, why his sovereign rule, why must we be angry? If we say that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, that includes our challenges, by the way. Uh, Like uh, Tim has said, it's great to praise the Lord when we got the job. But when we didn't, it's a totally different mindset. Uh, uh, we could be happy and jolly when, when, when things are going well. But when things are not, uh, it's very difficult. fact is, the Lord knows what is best for us all the time. And beloved, sometimes that includes that person that really rubs you the wrong way. Sometimes that best is the Lord putting you in a situation where you need to react in a godly way. And then it builds your character. It changes your perspective. It changes you as a person. Because you learn how to deal with these difficult things. Problem is, we don't deal with it rightfully. Now, to point out the obvious, you and I would not be angry if we've not been mistreated yet. We would not be bitter people if people just treated us right and with a little bit of respect, correct? We would not be thinking ill or evil of someone if they have just been nice to us. We wouldn't have to forgive anyone if no one had wronged us. That's the obvious. What Paul is showing here is how to respond in a godly manner in an ungodly, fallen world that we live in. Where people, right, left, and center are against us. Just because we are believers. Sometimes that's all the reason there is. Now, notice the progression that Paul used here. It started with bitterness. Truth be told, that's inside of us. Remember our discussion on this? The root of bitterness, the unseen thing in us. Uh, uh, No one really knows that, how we are feeling. It starts with this resentful attitude that blows out into an outburst of rage, resulting in screaming and yelling on and carrying on. We now know that as clamor. And so let's start with bitterness. Bitterness from the heart. Again, I don't want to major on this because we just learned it. Bitterness doesn't happen overnight as we've learned. It builds up on you. It creeps up on you over time. Uh, This is us nursing our anger, nursing our bitterness within us for far too long and that's the reason why we get angry we rehearse this over and over in our minds what has happened, what has been done to us why this person is so and such and it boils over and net effect is what you saw We rehearse this in our minds justifying ourselves that we are the victim and other people need to change. Have you considered that we should actually change? If we expect other people to change, doesn't that demand that we do the changing ourselves as well? A bitter person refuses to forgive or be reconciled. He wants the other person to suffer and pay for what he did. Bitter persons keep scores and list all the wrong things done unto him or her, and that list keeps on getting longer and longer and longer. But what does Hebrews 12:15 says to us? That's our text. The last time. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Anger defiles you, and it defiles the people around you that for the most part loves you. But because of your sinful anger, you drive them away. Yours and my bitterness will defile us. And here's the thing. If in fact we have been wronged, as has happened many times, what is the biblical principle? What is the biblical reply? What should we do in such a situation? Paul said that the same thing in Romans 12. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Don't, he says. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now I understand, easier said than done. But we can't escape it. That's the admonition for us. Somebody said one practical way of getting rid of bitterness against someone is to pray for that person. Aha. Uh-huh. Have you prayed for that someone that you are bitter against with? This is not self promotion. This is confession. I have a little book that no one sees except the Lord. And in that book, there is a day that a people's names are listed. People that I think are angry at me, or I have robbed the wrong way, or people that for whatever reason... I may have been a stumbling block to them or I did something to them and they're listed down and I pray for them. And it's not easy. How could you pray for someone who has wronged you, said things bad about you, Done things awful about you. But my Bible says that I am to love my enemies and pray for them that despitefully use you. And as your pastor, I confess to you, it's making me a better pastor. It's making me a better person. Because I have made that concerted effort in my little book that only me sees. And pray for that person. I am recommending it to you. List them down. Pray for them. The trouble is. We pray on them. P-R-E-Y. Rather than pray as in P-R-A-Y. And until we stop preying on them, we'll never remove that anger. What about wrath? The word is thumos. It has the idea of passionate, heavy, hard, breathing indignation or blowing smoke or boiling over. Turn to Luke chapter 4, please. Luke chapter 4. Here in verse 28. A set, set, setting here, of course, is uh, the Pharisees having a go at the Lord Jesus. And here in verse 28. Uh, and all day in the synagogue, those were the enemies of the Lord, when they heard these things were filled with wrath. Same word, thumos. The word wrath is... Uh, uh, the same word in, in in what I just said, and here in verse twenty nine and because of their rage, and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill, and those of you who have been in Israel, Kevin would have shown you this place, whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. can you see it? These people grabbed the Lord Jesus Christ, turned him over and wanted to cast him. Why? So that the head falls down at first and it would be smashed and he would certainly die. That's the idea here. That's what they're pondering in their heart. And that's what Tumos is in your heart and mine. You're looking at someone and that's what you want to do to that someone. They were so fired up to kill him that they want to make sure that he burst his head and die. Have you got Thumos in your heart? Are you wishing for somebody to die because of your anger? Now, back in our text, the next word that Paul used after bitterness and wrath was anger. Now, this word is different. Uh, If wrath is boiling over, this word anger here, or gay, this is a more settled and subdued attitude, but with a purpose of revenge. This is not boiling over. This is subdued, just consistent attitude, but with a purpose of, I'll get you back. One of these days, I'll get you back. And I will not stop until I get you. That's the idea there. It's mad, isn't it? Think about it. This letter was, like I said, addressed to the believers. Now think this through. These are church folks. Thinking like this of each other. And by application, this could be us. Uh, And again, you know, I, I love him. I think you know that. Joshua was saying that He believes that we have an opportunity uh, for for this church to to, to grow and accomplish great things for the Lord. Hallelujah, praise God. But if we're thinking this way, with each other, rather than love flowing through us, do you think God's going to bless our ministry? He will hinder. we We are hindering What perhaps God is planning for us. Clama, as I said earlier on, is this screaming loud with angry words to each other. It includes cursing, swearing, and using abusive words. Do you realize that the only time that we really are to yell at somebody, a brother or a sister in the Lord, or anyone for that matter is when they are actually facing danger that's the only time that we really are allowed to yell hey all other times is we talk to a person we do not yell or has the right to yell at someone Next is evil speaking against another or slander. We do this by building our case against the other person to make it look like that we are the aggrieved party or the victim. Most often, evil speaking against another comes with untruth or stretched out truth or falsehood. Where we only give our side or incomplete information to sway the side, the tide, so to speak, unto us and get favor for us. Again, this is madness. This is written to the church at Ephesus. Remember, and I'm trying to learn this. I used to say there's always two sides to the story. I no longer say that. There's three sides to a story. The aggressor and the uh, aggrieved party. They can say their pieces but there's only one who knows the truth. And that's the side of the Lord. Not two sides three sides. Um And then lastly, malice. Malice is a general term for ill will or wickedness towards another person. It is that innate desire to harm the person, whether physically, emotionally, or even mentally. Pair this up to slander or evil speaking and you have a recipe to harm the person's reputation. By smearing mud all over him or her to others. Again, you wouldn't expect God's people to do this. But we do. Sadly. Now in all of this, I hope we can see how depraved anger really is. By seriously considering all this, you and I cannot... Sincerely justify anger ever again. Let us erase it in our head that sinfully being angry is okay. It's not okay. Losing it is not okay. Boiling over is not okay. The Bible says we are to be of a sound mind. We are to be sober. That means controlled in our behaviors. Now, those were the negatives. Okay? I have to get it out. I have to give you the bad news so that we can appreciate the good news. Now, how do we slay this giant? How do we become victorious uh, over this giant? How can we face life uh, and face up to this giant of anger? Now, notice Paul not only encouraged the believers to stop doing evil, but also to start doing or demonstrating godliness. See, that's a a very good principle in life. You just can't say stop doing that. You have to give to be doing something. Okay? We parents were very good and said, don't do that. Don't read that. Don't listen to that. But we're not giving them any alternatives on what to do. Okay? We preachers would say, don't go to the internet. Don't listen to this. But we're not giving you adequate materials on which to feast your heart and eyes on. Okay? You got to take one and replace that. It's a good principle. So... By removing anger, you got to replace it with what? That's what Paul is doing here. In verse 25, let's read that together. <clears throat> Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Go down with me to verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing that... Which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mind. But, there you go again, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now here in verse 32, the first part, and be ye kind one to another. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 31 is all the negatives. It says, put that away from you. The answer to beat this giant is be kind one to another. Be, the word be here translated means to become. It's in the present imperative. That means meaning it's an ongoing process. We become tender hearted. Oh, sorry, kind. We're becoming kinder. Alright, that's the idea. That process starts with us acknowledging, accepting responsibility for our sinful anger. You can't just give that an excuse and a pass. We have to accept that we've been guilty. Of sinful anger. We accept it. We acknowledge it. We don't excuse it. We don't justify it. But rather that we would confess it and ask God for forgiveness. That process of us choosing to accept responsibility for our action rather than blaming others for it. My dear ones, there's no guarantee that we will always have victory over this. But acknowledging, accepting it, is a very good first step to that process. It is us that is to blame, not others all the time, regardless of the situation. We have no right to be angry, boil over, or lose it. No, that's never acceptable. Not at home, not at the workplace, and certainly not here in the house of worship. This is a constant, ongoing battle. And there will be times we're going to lose it. But that doesn't mean that we just give up and expect others to put up with it. Or to accept that behavior from us. we need to seek help professional help if needed we confess of course for our failing we dust ourselves and get back into the battle until falling over this sin becomes less and less that's the idea kindness to each other is really love for each other isn't that what it says in first corinthians 13 Verses 4 to 7, charity or love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not, vaunteth not itself, that means having no high opinion of ourselves. Uh, uh, Is not puffed up, that means not being proud. Doth not behave itself unseemly, that means not being rude or acting indecently. Seeketh not her own, that is not insisting on his or her own way. I'm not making this up. Look at the words and get to the the original words. And this is what it says. Okay, Um, Is not easily provoked. That means not quickly being angry. Thinketh no evil. The idea is not keeping a record of wrongs of others and what they did to us. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's love. Again, love is one of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Notice the encouragement of the Lord uh, in uh, Luke chapter 6. Uh, back there again, please. Uh, Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> uh, Verse uh, 35. The Lord Jesus speaking here, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing. Uh, Again, that means lend without expecting to be paid back. Uh, Why? Because your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind, watch it, unto the unthankful and unto the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So how do we slay this giant of anger? We are to be tender hearted. First Peter chapter three verse eight and nine finally be of all one mind having compassion one of another. Love us brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, uh, but contrary wise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. How are you going on that one? Rendering evil for evil, railing for railing. Sometimes, or many times, the very best thing to do about this is to just step back and say to this person, this conversation is finished. So you don't get tempted in reacting to whatever is being thrown at you, truth or not. Okay. How can you pronounce blessing on someone talking evil against you? Do you find that easy, Pete? Do you think? If someone talking bad about you all the time, Paul says, contrary-wise, blessing. How can you bless someone that does that to you? We are to replace anger in our hearts. We are to replace it with tender heartedness. Just no choice. Just no choice. We can face and slay this giant by anger, by kindness, by being tender hearted. And then thirdly, we are to be forgiving of one another. The word forgiving used by Paul here is charizomai. It means to grant someone. That someone who has wronged you. An undeserved favor. What is that undeserved favor again? grace. He doesn't deserve it. He probably deserve a black eye from you. But you won't do that. What you're going to give that guy is an undeserved favor. It means you would choose to absorb or take the pain and show grace to that other person who genuinely wronged you. It means you would not ask that person to earn your forgiveness. That means you will not bring the offense every time uh, you have a disagreement. And so as I close, why do we need to stop being angry and replace that anger with kindness? With tenderness? And yes, forgiveness. Why? Back in our text and in verse 32. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Hmm. Take it from the Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Oh my dear ones, if there is one that has all the right to be angry, it's got to be the Lord, because of what we've done and continues to do. But He doesn't do that. He doesn't continuously get angry. Instead, he's kind to us, he's tender-hearted to us, and he's forgiving. We have been the recipients of that. And therefore, we must be able to dish that out to those people that are wronging us. If you lose your temper, ultimately you are the one that will be punished. It will cost you your friends. It will cost you your loved ones. It will cost you to lose your job. It will cause you to lose your wife. It will cause you to lose your children. It will cause you to lose your health just because of being angry all the time. The 18th century British pioneer in the field of surgery, John Hunter, served as a surgeon to King George III, was one of the most distinguished scientists and surgeons of his day. A fellow of the prestigious Fellowship of the Royal Society of London, suffered from angina himself. He's a well-known surgeon, okay? He discovered that his attacks were often brought on by anger. Hunter lamented, and I quote, My life is at the mercy of the man who can make me angry. End of quote. He went on to say, the first scoundrel that gets me angry will kill me. At a meeting of the board of St. George's Hospital in London, Hunter got into a heated argument with the other board members, walked out, and dropped dead in the next room. Anger. He'll kill you. So the next time you're about to be angry against someone, think of what Christ has done to you. And I'm sure it will be very, very hard for you to be angry. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the reminder. And thank you for this admonition from Paul. So let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from us. Oh, Father, we live in a day in a society that there is so much anger in people. And I'm concerned as a pastor of a flock that this anger is creeping in into your own church. Oh, Father, I pray replace our anger with love as we have heard this morning. Help us to slay this giant, to deal with this issue of anger, to seek help if we need to. And oh, Father, I pray that we would not be praying on each other in anger, but, Father, that we would pray for each other not to be angry. And so, Lord, tonight, once again, as we look at these practical things of life, that we would apply it into our lives, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.